Welcome to What's the Deal, our investment banking podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of What's the Deal, we'll explore the trends that are driving deal-making and transforming industries today. What's the outlook for European leveraged debt markets? On the 8th of September, we've concluded the latest edition of the European High Yield and Leverage Finance Conference in our offices at 60 Victoria Embankment. It's the largest event of its type in Europe. We had this year 80 presenting companies, 1490 attendees, and 2740 organized touch points. I'm Daniel Rudnicki Schlumberger, the head of Leverage Finance at JP Morgan. With me today, I've got Andrew Crook, the head of Leverage Finance Sales, and Daniel Lemmy, the head of JP Morgan European Credit Strategy Research. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being here with me today. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Now, I'd like, Daniel, to ask you the, the first question. It seems we have an emerging consensus amongst research and investors that results in our portfolio companies and the outlook generally, in particular for default, is more benign than was previously feared. I certainly think that's true. We have been more optimistic on the default rate outlook, I think, than most this year. If you look at corporate operating performance for the past two years, we've seen consistent net upgrades. The increase in leverage that took place after the start of the pandemic has fully unwound itself. Leverage across the companies that we track is back to levels seen at the end of 2019. And more importantly, the pass-through of higher interest rates has been relatively slow. The average coupon in the European high-yield market two years ago was 3.5%. Right now, it's only just over 4.1%. And so although we're entering most likely into a more challenging economic period in Europe, the level of distress and default is going to take time to pick up. We're expecting default rates in Europe to normalize, but not to move that high. So at the end of 2022, our measure of default rates was a little under half a percent. It's moved up more recently to 2%. We think it gets to 3% by year end and then stays at roughly that level or potentially even falls back slightly next year. So we have a forecast in the European high yield bond market for 2024 of 2.5%. I think the important thing to realize is that although leverage is starting to tick up a little bit, and we think that can continue as some of the outsized profits from last year in areas like commodity producers fades, interest coverage ratios are still very high. So companies can quite comfortably afford to meet their interest expense, and the credit deterioration that people have been looking for, we think will take a lot longer to materialize. So Andrew, rather good news for investors and lenders. There seems also to be a growing, developing consensus on rates expectation. I think that's true, Daniel. I think rates expectations have been such a core tenant of investor considerations for so long. Investors' accuracy on their rates call, even for credit, particularly for credit, has been a key determinant of performance. And as you've said, I think it's perhaps changing as other considerations move to the foreground. It was interesting, however, with Stephen DeLake and Bruce Kasman kicking off the conference, several investors noted a stern array sentiment amongst JP Morgan thought leaders. That was food for thought for investors. Bruce particularly talked about how inflationary pressures are not yet done 
how labour costs can be expected to remain high as unemployment remains low, and that the fading of COVID tailwinds had been a CB tightening offset may actually start to fade. What does that mean? The Fed might get stuck at 3%. That will require further hikes. Those hikes will compress margins, and that will catalyze the end of the expansion. I think investors understand the narrative, to state the obvious. However, increasingly, they think that that's only one piece of the narrative and that it's potentially unlikely 2023's business and that credit's an expensive asset class to be short. So in summary, the immediate threat posed by rates perhaps isn't enough to justify selling. Government bond yields are already high on a post-GFC basis. Subsequent hikes, if they do take place, won't take place immediately. And I think a couple of other points are worth making as well. As Daniel has widely reported through his Credit Weekly note, Ratesfall hasn't recently had the impact on spreads that perhaps historically has. And with Treasury yields above 4%, which is typically the point above which spreads do become particularly sensitive, that equally hasn't happened this time around. So if there is a broad expectation that we've paused, it's an important consideration. Another point that investors have made is that performance in credit subsequent to that pause is typically very strong. Nelson Janssen, our head of US high yield strategy, he's written about this multiple times in the last five episodes in the last 30 years where the Fed has paused. Subsequent high yield bond total returns are actually pretty positive thereafter on a six and 12 month basis. And investors are mindful of that as well. And then the last point I'd make, we are moving from a macro focused world to a more micro focused world. And Bruce himself touched on that when he talked about very robust fundamentals, as Daniel mentioned, low corporate leverage, lots of cash on balance sheet, especially for IG issuers, and then interest coverage, although it's deteriorating, it's doing so from a very robust base. So Daniel, where does that leave us for short-term activity? How are we doing with the refinancing wall we were staring at at the beginning of the year? Well, I don't think there really is much of a refinancing wall. If you look at 2024 maturities, those are below 30 billion euros, of which the bulk is double B rated paper, which is the highest rated part of the high yield market. And so it should be the easiest to refinance. And in fact, most double B corporates have already quite a lot of cash on balance sheets, so may not even need to issue new bonds in order to um, redeem those maturities. There's been a lot less progress made on the 2025 bond maturities. Since the end of 2021, there's only been 9 billion of redemptions of 2025 maturities, so very low. We think that that activity is going to pick up quite soon. The amount of bonds coming due in 2025 is 65 billion euros, which sounds like a lot. But again, the bulk of it is higher rated uh, issuers. There's just under 30 billion euros of single B and triple C paper, which will be more challenging to refinance. But there's time. If you think that even these 2025 maturities have to be dealt with by the end of next year, say, to keep rating agencies comfortable that the companies aren't cutting it too fine, that still leaves you 15 months or so for 30 billion euros of paper. If we were going back a few years, let's say to 2021, we wouldn't even be worried at all about that kind of volume. So I'm quite optimistic that the maturity wall is not a problem. Now in the leveraged loan market, companies have actually been even more proactive in pushing out maturities because there's been a little bit more pressure to do that while CLOs, who are the largest holders of those loans, are able to participate 
in amend and extend transactions, i.e. to push out the maturity of those loans. We've seen 29 billion euros of amend and extend transactions already this year, and the maturity wall in the leveraged loan market has been dealt with actually much more quickly than in the high-yield bond market. So an active refinancing market, probably more to do. Are we going to have, Andrew, a receptive investor and lender base for new leveraged loans and high-yield bonds? I think hopefully as music to your ears, Daniel, the answer is yes. I think we've seen investors grow in their willingness to underwrite and commit capital to an increasingly diverse set of use of proceeds over the course of the year. I think the tone more broadly from investors is reasonably constructive. Now, it is caveated with an expectation of performance for the remainder of 2023 being largely driven by carry and roll down rather than spread tightening. But with all in yields where they are, that's not necessarily to be sniffed at. I think the positive tone is driven by a number of factors. Daniel there talked about the maturity wall and the role that that's having in the perceptions around default rates or views on default rates. I mean, I pushed and provoked investors on Daniel's 3% call for high yield bonds this year and 2.5% for next year. And I struggle to find anyone willing to challenge us on that view and push for higher default rates or an expectation of higher default rates. Maturity wall or lack of and fundamentals are two key drivers of that. Yes, we do have a wall in 2025. Yes, 28, 29 billion of that is single B or triple C rated. However, as Daniel said, almost by stealth, the A&E process has extended not just middle of the fairway credits in the loan space, it's done so for some of the more challenging and esoteric issuers as well, which I think has been well received. We've made the point several times about fundamentals, but combined the expectation from investors is that default rates are going to remain well anchored. I think fundamentals we talked a bit about as well. It was interesting to hear your fireside chat, listening to your guest. They were talking about their portfolio companies within the business, and they were talking about private equity investors. They were talking about top line and EBITDA growing on a double-digit basis. They were talking about very material equity cushions. Like I think that's part of a positive narrative as well. I think the lack of primary, which I think we all hope changes, has been a tailwind as a technical. Let's hope that we can sort of satiate investor demand there. We've also had a shrinking market, which is something that isn't lost on investors. I mean, as Daniel's said in a number of research notes, the European high yield bond market shrunk the best part of 15% since 2021. And then fund flows at worst have been benign, like we've had a small inflow year to date. Retail flows have been relatively sticky, even in periods of negative total return. And again, that's something that investors acknowledge. Feedback from investors as well is that positioning isn't particularly stretched. They do have cash. But that said, 5% cash is the new fully invested, but they do have cash to deploy and they are ready and waiting. And then I think some of the other challenges that had been part of the narrative, for example, China, and we heard it at the conference, actually, there is a lot of news out there, whether it's the notion of real estate debt that defaulted, whether it's the performance of the high yield index since mid 2021, it's increasingly hard to envisage in investors' minds what that next piece of news flow is that catalyzes a downdraft. Bruce as well said he's more concerned about Europe than he is China now. So I think on balance, broadly constructive. The other thing I haven't touched on, and this is something that investors acknowledge is playing a role in extending the credit cycle, it's the role played by private credit and direct lenders. 
good and bad. I think they played a role in extending the cycle. They started with esoteric credits that perhaps were poorly suited to public markets. There's been an expansion in the type of credits that they would consider, but all in that as well has been supportive as a technical. So all in, investors pretty excited about the paper that hopefully you and the team are, are set to deliver over the remainder of this year. Overall, we've been describing a very positive and supportive short-term environment. But what are your worries? What could spoil the broth longer term? Daniel, you go first. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think my, my biggest medium-term worry is around government debt and deficits, given that we've come through a, a period of significant challenge where governments have had to borrow a lot uh, through the pandemic, through the um, energy crisis in Europe. And if you look at the amount of debt outstanding, but also the size of deficits, those are very large. It wasn't a coincidence, I think, that when we came out of the financial crisis in 2009, it was quickly followed up by a sovereign crisis. I'm not predicting necessarily that the same happens again, but we have to be mindful that we're in uncharted territory regarding government debt and deficits. And many of our panelists mentioned that. What about you, Andrew? I have had my thunder stolen by Daniel somewhat there. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, government indebtedness is one. We started the summer with a US downgrade. There's a huge amount of investor concern in terms of the amount of government debt and then how leverage is no longer a corporate or solely a corporate and, and private sector issue. I think election cycles and the potential implications of election cycles is a risk factor that's broadly acknowledged. A number of investors said that had been on their mind, which is the re-emergence of, of, of populism. Like we had this period whereby the Western world was exporting democracy and how that no longer is a thing. And I think key themes around populism and the lack of accountability, the lack of trust, the lack of credibility and the potential implications in terms of political volatility, that's a touch point with investors as well. In raising some of those investor concerns, it's clear from my responses that they are all relatively big picture concerns. And by definition, they're longer term concerns as well. And for the remainder of this year, just to reiterate, I think the focus for investors is going to be increasingly micro rather than macro. Thank you, Andrew. That concludes our podcast. Great environment, but longer term uncertainties remain. Indeed. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What's the Deal? If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to JP Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. To stay ahead of the curve, sign up for JP Morgan's In Context newsletter, packed full of market views and expert insights delivered straight to you. To subscribe, just visit jpmorgan.com forward slash in hyphen context. This material was prepared by the Investment Banking Group of J.P. Morgan Securities, LLC, and not the firm's research department. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instrument.